Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Stripe tap to pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Reese Kenworthy has supported Independent Tech News directly for five years. Be like Reese. Become a DTNS member at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for May Day, May 1st, 2019 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. From a way too cold May 1st in Salt Lake City, I'm Scott Jones. And uh, making sure I don't forget my wife's birthday today, I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. You can e- easily remember it. It's always on International Labor Day. Yeah. Yeah. Happy, happy, uh, happy Labor Day to the workers of the world. Happy birthday. <laughs> no, it's, not, it's not a birthday. It's different. Uh, let's start today by telling you we're going to talk about whether Slack has actually made things worse or better as far as communication, and then tell you a few tech things you should know. IDC estimates that worldwide Q1 smartphone shipments fell 6.6% a year uh, over last year, rather. Huawei climbed back into second place by raising shipments up. quite a jump. Vivo raised its shipments 24% and tied for fifth. Samsung stayed in first while its shipments fell 8.1%. Apple slipped into third, uh, falling 30.2%. And Xiaomi was fourth, falling 10.2%. So lots of falls. Oppo slipped 6%, but tied Vivo for fifth. Wow. It's the worst horse race I've ever heard of. Speaking of (laughs) Huawei... Nikkei reports Huawei plans to launch an 8K television with a built-in 5G connection by the end of the year. It could potentially act as a router to share the connection. The Verge notes Foxconn claimed to be working on a TV with 8K, 5G, and AI to be made uh, at its Wisconsin location, which is weirdly empty all the time. But okay, sure. 8K TVs coming to Wisconsin. 8K, 5G, (laughs) AI with blockchain. Try to fit more buzzwords in there. Uh, Researchers at Cisco Talos said attackers have been actively exploiting a critical zero-day vulnerability in Oracle's WebLogic server since at least April 21st. The exploit could be used to install ransomware with no interaction needed from the end users. That's what makes this bad. Uh, It doesn't require anybody to get fished or click on anything, uh, and it's actively being exploited. It just requires an HTTP connection to a vulnerable... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Server, Oracle released an emergency patch on Friday. So, you know, public service announcement. If you're working at an organization that runs WebLogic servers, make sure they're patched. Google said it will roll out a new feature in the coming weeks that will let users choose to automatically delete location history and web and app activity. You'll be able to choose to have the data deleted every three months or every 18 months. A little more control. I like that. Uh, Google revealed details about a new customer service AI named CallJoy. It's kind of the opposite of duplex. It's for a business to take incoming calls with an AI. It can answer questions like business hours. Uh, It can text URLs for things that could be done online. Uh, Like, oh, we have that available online. Would you like me to text that? And the AI will text you something. And it can refer customers to human operators as well. You have to use a new phone number if you're a business that wants to take advantage of CallJoy. And it can only be linked to a single location. Google will charge $39 a month per line. Let's talk a little bit about what happened yesterday at F8, Scott. Well, F8, everyone's favorite keyboard key, and the chance for Microsoft (laughs) to get up and talk about Facebook. Uh, As mentioned yesterday, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg emphasized privacy in his address at the F8 Developers Conference, and that privacy has woven in as a theme in all the product product announcements. Verge's Casey Newton uh, points out that Zuckerberg did not discuss why. I think I know. Anyway, but in a New York Times interview to Mike Isaac, uh, Zuckerberg noted that the amount of stories uh, shared is, ex- is expected to outnumber the number of feeds, feed posts this year, that is to say, on, ne- on, uh, on Facebook. He also did not address the many, uh, or sorry, did not address many of the questions put to him in a conversation last week with histori- historian Yuval Noah Harari, especially does Facebook want to connect people for any particular purpose or simply to keep them looking at a screen? Yeah, I said I that this, part I, very, I, yeah. 
<laughs> well, it was uh, Harari was was being uh, much much less dramatic than Scott when he asked asked the question, and I and I think he was asking it sincerely. Which uh, I commend Zuckerberg for engaging in that conversation with Harari. Right, uh, Harari did not play softball with him. However, I think Casey Newton is tying this all together to say, sure, Facebook is pivoting to privacy partly because that's what its audience wants, and Facebook wants. Whatever its audience wants. If its audience will do more things that are private, by golly, they're going to deliver more privacy because that will lead to more interactions. Whatever spends more time watching the screen, as Harari put it, is what Facebook wants to do. So I would like to hear more of an answer to that myself. Does Facebook want to connect people for a purpose or just to, you know, addict them to Facebook? Well, I mean, obviously, Facebook is not going to say, oh, it's the latter, um, but I, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question that has been going on for quite some time, but at this point has to be addressed at something like F8. Yeah. Give us, give it, we know that you really just want to make money off us. Uh, but you need to, you need to meet people halfway, I think, and tell them like, okay, but we, we, we can make money doing something that is good for all of us. And that you're not hearing anything like that from Facebook. All you're hearing is let us tell you what you want to hear privacy. Yeah. And they, I mean, their early days were more than just about getting people to stare at a screen. I'm sure that they were. I'm sure that when Facebook was being formed, Zuckerberg would tell you that it was just this <laughs> exciting thing about what if everybody could be in the same place and what if we could all How could have we a conversation. Rate all the faces of women at Harvard is probably right. What if we did, what if we did that? But you know, it's changed and what it's changed into is a multi-billion dollar enterprise. And so, yeah, I mean, at some point they have to admit they just need our faces, but it'd be nice if they had a more ultra altruistic sort of plan for us all. In the same Facebook vein, slightly, those of you who don't listen to Tom and Scott on Current Geek, well, you're missing out, but you also may not know that Scott has a fascination with thinking about the number of people in old movies who are now deceased. Sometimes everybody in the whole cast of the movie. Well, Scott, a study from a scientist at Oxford University estimates that Facebook at its gr current growth rate will have 4.9 billion dead members by 2100. <laughs> Many of us will be dead by then as well, but you know, just look at the numbers. In a bit of twisted statistics, if Facebook stopped growing right now, which it probably won't, it would mean more dead members than living Facebook members by 2070. So what? right now you can choose a legacy contact and accounts can be memorialized after you're gone. The Oxford scientist said that Facebook should invite historians and archivists and archaeologicalists and ethicists to participate in the process of curating this very large volume of accumulated data that we leave behind because we do in many cases Quote, deceased may number the outlive may outnumber the living if current growth rates continue, raising questions about what happens to our data. So you probably should give a little background when on current geek I have this thing I just can't stop doing, which is we'll watch something for our film festival about really old movies. We'll see Casablanca, for example. Yeah. And I will notice that nobody there, including camera people, are alive. They're all gone. Uh, the big crowd in the restaurant, gone. Every single one of them. Nobody's here anymore. And so I don't know why that's interesting to me. It just is. And I well, see it all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, especially because, you know, these are like classic movies where nobody yeah. involved directly is around anymore. Yeah. And then, but here is their art and it's a modern version of art and yet they're gone. So 
I feel like now that we're finally getting to that place in modern, you know, uh, kinds of art, be it film or whatever, um, I find that super fascinating. Well, in this particular case, it's even more interesting because if there are that many people who were Facebook users and then passed away, what is that data? Where is it? And what will happen to it? I mean, I know it's on servers, but uh, what will happen to it eventually? Will anything happen to it? Is it planned for by anybody? I know that there are services out there you can pay for that will uh, automatically email all your friends your important data and they can go to Facebook and log in and get your stuff. And I know there's ways to do things around the periphery, but most of that stuff just sits there. And maybe we don't care. I don't know. It's just this ephemeral thing. But Well, I mean, I, I, you know, Facebook's taking some steps to try to, you know, figure out, okay, so what happens? You know, someone goes away, you know, is someone designated as the person who now runs the account? You know, if there is not that person, you know, let's make sure that, that, um, that the data is protected in some way. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of it's kind of morbid, but it it's it's a real thing that Facebook has to think about, particularly because uh, many people on Facebook are, are not young. And if you don't leave a legacy content, Facebook won't give the family access to the account because they're protecting the privacy of the person who's dead. That needs right. to change. Uh, yeah. There there are privacy rights for the survivors uh, that are that exist in a, in a dead person's account, but those are the people trying to get into the account usually. So there ought to be a method for that uh, to happen. There's just a lot to be sorted out here, especially for accounts where there are no longer any interested parties in the survivor. And at what point does the the rights of a dead person's account revert into the public domain and become part of the historical record, which it can be very valuable for. So yeah, yeah I think this is a really interesting question to bring up. And in theory, it's us who will have the most data in there, our generation, because we're the ones that have put the most into it. My 80 year old mother has barely got a few years into Facebook. We're going to have a whole lot more in there. So yeah, yeah, it'll be weird to see what they do. Well, for years, there has been a lot of fear and uncertainty and doubt about what border agents might do to you uh, regarding your electronics when you return to the country. Technically, the Customs and Border Control Agency asserts that it has the right to search any device without a warrant. In practice, it rarely does, but the incidents have been rising. There have been notable single incidents. For instance, back in 2017, if you recall, there was a NASA engineer who felt he had to allow Customs and Border Control to search his device, even though it had classified data on it that he was not allowed to let anyone else see, including Customs and Border Control agents. Uh, Tuesday, the Electronic Frontier Foundation and the American Civil Liberties Union asked a federal court to rule without trial that the Department of Homeland Security should disregard the first and fourth, that, that the Department of Homeland Security does disregard the first and fourth amendments. Uh, and that's wrong. And they're asking for a preliminary ruling, uh, saying like, you should just summary judgment say, look, this policy disregards the first and fourth amendments. You should stop this policy of searching devices without reason, without cause, without warrants. The motion cites statistics that Customs and Border Patrol searched 33,295 devices in fiscal year 2018, and that is up 9% from the prior year. Keep in mind, Customs and Border Patrol processes more than a million passengers per day. So you're talking, you know, close to 400 million passengers per year. 33,295 devices is a very small percentage. But what the EFF is pointing out here are two things. One, the number is going up. And there's no, re you know, they could be targeted for any reason, and maybe that shouldn't happen. Maybe they should be required to have a warrant or cause. And we're talking about returning U.S. citizens here. Forget 
you know, actual actual travelers and visitors from other countries. Nine percent um, struck me as a small hike from the previous year. I don't know how the rest of you feel. Mm, I mean, any hike is not great, but yeah, nine's not, I, I also would see nine and not that it would be an anomaly, but let's see what it is next year. And if it continues on an upward growth, then it's not a fluke, but 9% doesn't strike me as a huge increase either. I guess. I don't know. I don't know why I feel that way either. It uh, just doesn't well, seem like a big number to me. I think, but. I think what the EFF is trying to point out is this problem, this, this problem may be small, but it's getting bigger and maybe we should nip it in the bud before it becomes a bigger problem. And, and they're not, yeah, they're yeah. not wrong. And, and granted, if you're, if you're not from the U S and you're like, wait, is my device going to get searched? It could Ch- again, chances are it won't the predominance of the chances again, a million per day, 33,000 searched in the highest year yet. Uh, it's 33,000 searched over a year. It's a pretty small percentage, but the question isn't mm-hmm. how often is it happening? Really? The question is, should it happen at all? Mm. Should they need a warrant? And I agree. I think they, well, I don't know if they do or not. I'll tell you this. This is a little unrelated, but I got through the TSA to and from Anaheim last year with a pocket knife in my bag that I had forgotten about. That's not border. That's not border. Control. I know. I know That's it's not. Entirely I'm different saying, I shouldn't be able to get a knife through the freaking TSA is my point. That's, Tom. Like, that's like saying, you know, the U.S. military has drones, but I was speeding the other day. Like that's what I'm I know. About. That's why I said unrelated. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's not that unrelated. It's supposed to be security reasons, and they're no, bad. No, these at are different, entirely different agencies doing entirely different things. <laughs> no, right, but enough. I mean, but to your point, Scott. I mean, the, yeah, there have been times where I mean, I don't think I travel with knives that I know of, but you know, I, I travel with a lot of podcasting equipment that confuses TSA, <laughs> and like most of the time, they're Again, like, "All right, talking about the TSA that doesn't bear in any way on the Customs and Border Patrol agents." Well, You're right. I, well, all right. Yeah, I mean, we're I, the only reason I'm making a big deal about this is we're not talking about searches like pat downs looking for knives. We're talking about Customs and Border Patrol saying, "Do you have a phone on you? Hand it over." Right? You're yeah, not going right. through. You're not going through a metal detector. You're you're not like uh, have have a list of things that like make sure you don't have this in your bag. No, this but, isn't but, that at all. Well, this is uh, I've decided that maybe you're suspicious. Maybe you're a journalist, and I don't like it. Uh, so please give me your phone, and I want to copy all the data off it. That's not something the TSA is going to do. Sure, but. Um, when you're talking about going through s- some sort of metal detector and, and you're saying in this case, not not the case. OK, well, if I'm a NASA engineer and I have a, a, a data that's that's very important and somebody doesn't see it, you know, what what happens then? Well, they, they can search through your bags at customs, right? It, sure. but, it's, but it's not a metal detector situation. And so what the NASA engineer was doing was trying to cooperate and be like, hey, you know what? I just want to do what I need to do to get back in the country. I ate an avocado in Las Vegas last week. <laughs> Nothing to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say. Was it an Indian avocado? No, it wasn't. It looked like, you know what it actually looked like? It looked like one of Daenerys's eggs from Game of Thrones, if you want the truth. It looked mm. like one of those. I only ask because our next story is about India. Oh, well, let's talk about it. India is taking over, uh, excuse me, taking over the lead from China in fintech funding. Total value of the funding rounds in China dropped 87.56% year over year from 1.54 billion to 192.1 million. Meanwhile, India saw a record 286 million fintech investments 
Overall, fintech investments in Asia fell to a five-quarter low. Kind of interesting, right? Uh, yeah. The, you know, gr- granted, the bigger story here is that fintech investments in general in Asia have fallen quite a bit because uh, China had $1.54 billion last year and India now has the biggest at uh, $286 million. But it also means that that India is holding against that trend, which I, I think with all the payments uh, processing as such an important factor in India right now, I think that's that that is very noteworthy. Well, on the subject, somewhat, Apple Q2 revenue fell 5%, but still beat expectations. International sales accounted for 61% of revenue and services reached an all-time high of $11.5 billion, which Apple says accounts for one-third of gross profits iPhone and Mac revenue fell, but iPad revenue rose. iPhone revenue accounts for 53.5% of Apple's total, not super surprising, down from 61.4% a year ago. So it's it's still over half. Tim Cook said that Apple wearables also grew to 50%. Uh, Yeah. So the the important part is Apple wants iPhone revenue as a share of Apple's total to go down. They want to be able to tell people we're not entirely reliant on iPhones because then if the iPhone market just plummets, they're not messed up. So two things important here. One is wearables growing close to 50% uh, is good growth. You want to see AirPods watches sell in larger and larger numbers. Uh, We just found out right before the show that Fitbit had a great revenue, which means wearables are on the Mm -hmm. rise. Uh, so, so a great revenue earnings report. So that's good. And the other thing is seeing services as a third of gross profits. Now, 11.5 billion is nothing to sneeze at. It's still not like all the services they have still don't really, uh, make up for iPhone revenue, but at least it's headed in the right, right direction. So (laughs) my summary here is Apple's earnings report, not good enough for you to say Apple is safe, but not (laughs) bad enough to say that Apple's in trouble. Yeah. Fair enough. Also, it's cool to see iPad revenue on the rise. I'm a little bit biased right now because I think it's the best art tool in the business and artists are loving it. And uh, that's I don't think that's the reason necessarily for that rise, but it's a selfish reason because it means that's a healthy. I, 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 I think it probably is. It might be. Honestly. Yeah. yeah, it might be. I mean, also, there's a lot of choice now in that line that there didn't used to be. You can kind of get one that fits your needs the best. And also there's a good price range. For those who are trying to be a little uh, less spendy and also there's sort of top end. So I think they're just handling the tablet market for what it is. They're handling it better than they have in the past. And that's really good for guys like me who have found a, you know, found a reason for that thing to exist in their lives. So good for them. Hey, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to DailyTechHeadlines.com. Now, uh, interesting story from Recode today and also republished on Vox.com that IDC estimates Team Collaborative Apps is a $3.5 billion market set to grow 70% in the next three years. And this could be bad for productivity. Uh, by Team Collaborative Apps, we mean Microsoft Teams, Slack, Google Hangouts Meet, Google Hangouts Chat, Facebook Workplace, any of these systems that are designed to replace email so that you don't have to waste your time with email. We've made things better by giving you Slack or Teams or Workplace. All agree these apps should improve productivity, but Recode's Ronnie Mola notes that those hopes seem right now similar to open floor plans. Which, by the way, everybody has started to realize open floor plans don't help productivity. But the idea with an open floor plan was, oh, we'll break down hierarchies. We'll spark chance interactions and innovations. And that's kind of what Slack and the like are supposed to do. 
company called Time is Limited estimates that employees at large companies send more than 200 messages per day and that power users of these collaborative apps can send a thousand or more messages a day. And that's additive, not replacing. In some ways, team software has sucked out some of the frivolous communication, emojis and memes and stuff, leaving email the place for thoughtful communication. But essentially, the same amount of communication is happening. Rescue Time says chat is now the second most common computer activity after email, and the total time spent communicating has remained the same over the past six years. Worth noting here that distractions like notifications that you've got a Slack message reduce your productivity. Uh, because it takes time to return from a distraction uh, and get back to work. That multitasking has basically been shown to be a myth. That at best, it's equal to not multitasking if people who are really good at it. And for most people, multitasking makes you worse at a job because you can't focus. So what are the solutions? Well, Microsoft is adding some templates to optimize Teams. Uh, Slack kind of nudges you to be uh, optimizing your settings if it notices some, some behavior. But it could be better at that. But basically, workplace culture and training are the things that are missing. Uh, The workplace culture demands that you respond to these things, and you're never trained on how to reuse them responsibly. Sarah Peck, founder and executive director of Startup Pregnant, uh, is quoted in this Recode article as saying, we don't have a technology problem, we have a boundary problem. It doesn't matter if it's email or text message, we really suck at boundaries and suck even more at communicating them. Letting people know that, oh, if I don't respond to you, it's because I'm not working right now. That's pretty interesting. It's uh, I, I feel like it came it came around and I was on board. I went, ooh, this is a cool idea. This means I'll spend less time yeah. through Fewer emails. emails. Yes, cool. it seemed like the yeah. world was going to change in the right direction, mm-hmm. and and it kind of does in some ways. What I have is nice organized collaborative chat rooms. Really, is what I've got now, and yeah. those are great because if everyone's paying attention and on board, especially if they're all there at the same time, that's a great way to get stuff done because we're all paying attention, we're looking, we're listening. But if there's chunks of time between when you respond, like email, it's not much better than email. And so what I found is email is still a thing. And in fact, for the more official stuff I do, it's almost always email. And then the work stuff I do is on Slack. So I've just got this other avenue to communicate with those I have to work with or need to work with. And I don't actually save any time. If anything, I've just I've, I've, I've made it possible for me to do more. And that's often what we do. You know, I was saying earlier before the show, back in the day when uh, Lotus One Two Three happened, every accountant on the planet thought this is the death of our industry. We are going to have to get new jobs. What a waste of a CPA uh, degree that we got, blah, blah, blah. And the opposite happened. It created so many new jobs, and most people who had one kept them. And it just meant we had more to do now, and we could do it faster and more of it. So this is a microcosmic version of that, but I think that's what this is. And at least that's how it's affecting me. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny, it, you know, for for our purposes on DTNS, we we have a Slack channel, we use it regularly. It's very very helpful. That's where I know everyone's going to be if someone's little green dot is not, you know, if 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 it's not green, I know like, okay, well, they might be away, but they'll be back pretty soon and, you know, so we we've made it work for us. It is a very good collaboration tool. However, it's also a lot of, you know, there's, you know, there's like the ha ha giffy stuff, um, which I am a total, um, like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, well versed in, in how silly that is, but, you know, it makes everybody laugh. It's, 
it's sort of a glorified texting tool for the for the most part. Yes, you can share files, you can you know you talk to folks, and it's real time and the whole thing. But it is it feels to me like all right, it's AOL Instant Messenger, but just like cooler. Yeah, you also get like channel fatigue. People talk about having 80 channels. Somebody yeah, Rich Trofolino, who does Daily Tech Headlines, said that uh, one of the companies he he contracts with has an 80-channel Slack, and he's expected to keep up on all of them. Yes, which, which, which is, that's insane. Yeah. I mean, it's, no, it's not only too much, nobody could do that. What's, what's crazy about that is it's not only insane, Slack doesn't let you delete those channels in any sort of easy way. I don't know if you guys have ever tried this. You can hide them. That's channel. It. Yeah. It's horrendous how you mm-hmm. have to get rid of a channel. So... That's just Slack. I know others do it differently, and we could have conversations about all of their ups and downs. But eighty is crazy. You've got to, you've got to like. I, I don't know. I mean, ten, ten is crazy. I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but like back to your your point, Scott, about you know how you know uh, Slack was, and and again, we're using Slack as 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 uh, an uh, obvious. Uh, um, uh, they're the leader, so it's easy. Right. To yeah, exactly. And, you know, went public. It, everyone's talking about Slack right now. But the idea that it was sort of like replacing email. However, and this just happened to me the other day where I had something that was, you know, it was, it was kind of important that I had to deliver to somebody. And I could have delivered it on Slack, but I was like, well, email is just like more official. So we're. I, I feel like it's, there is no replacement of email. It's more of just like Slack is where a lot of stuff happens, but email is still like the king in certain situations. Yeah, I, I, I said this uh, when we were prepping for the show, but it reminds me of freeways where people say, oh, there's too much traffic on the freeways. We need to add some lanes. They add some lanes and more traffic uses the freeway because there are more lanes now. Like it doesn't solve congestion and increases traffic. That's a, that's a proven thing. It also reminds me of spam because it doesn't cost anything to send any of these messages. So when you're u- using email and Slack and you have two different ways, you might use both of them. You might communicate twice as much because it doesn't cost you anything but time to do it. And there's a lack of visual cues. I get where Slack is like, oh, it's immediate. Uh, that's different than email. Uh, email, somebody doesn't respond to, but I want somebody to respond to right away. Whereas if you were in an office, you'd walk up and if you saw the door was closed or you saw that the person was really busy, you might hold off and wait until they were free to interrupt them. Whereas with Slack, you can't see that. So you're just interrupting them all the time. Uh, and I, I think it's absolutely right that we need to learn how to use these tools and how how to know when it's proper to use them, how to know properly how to respond to them, when to have notifications on, when to have notifications off. I flatter ourselves that we use it pretty responsibly on DTNS, but I, I think even we could probably learn some things from from just the general intelligence about what are the best practices. It's weird because I feel like it is going it's going the direction of that open air office thing that turned out to be not so great. Yeah it'll have to be dialed back because right now Slack is sort of like, come on in, use it how you want to. We got these cool plugins, but you don't need them if you don't want. Like we're all just here. Like that attitude is great because it means we can sandbox for a while. But I do think we're getting to the point where we're going to have to start putting borders and figuring out what those borders are. Yeah, for sure. Thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddit. You can submit stories about Slack or other workplace apps or anything else that you like and then vote on others at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow. What's in the mailbag, Sarah? 
Corey in Boston wrote in, Corey works in application security and code analysis for large contractors and reminds us the UK's Huawei Oversight Committee published a 46-page report this year, Corey says, I read it, with details of their multiple years of code and architecture reviews. The first is that the committee did not find evidence of intentional backdoors. However, they raised specific, articulate concerns about how downright terrible the Huawei code was. The report details out-of-support libraries with known vulnerabilities, extensive unsafe memory handling, different firmware versions on the same hardware, and all functions that allow for buffer overflow attacks. On top of all of these numerous, literally several hundred, as Corey says, problems, Huawei largely did not fix the issues that the technical auditors found last year or even the year before that. They're simply not improving, even with independent auditors giving them specific directions. So Corey says, TLDR, no malicious backdoors, terrifyingly bad software practices, and companies absolutely should not use Huawei network infrastructure. It's not worth the risk. Crappy code is just as bad as malicious code if you're trying to protect your networks. Yeah, we actually uh, talked about this when that report came out with Justin Robert Young, uh, I believe, on the show. And uh, our our you know, our, our, I can't remember if it was our title for that show or if it was just the joke we were kicking around, but we were basically saying like, Huawei, maybe or maybe not spying, but definitely not very good at making this stuff. So uh, thanks for the reminder, Corey. That's good stuff. Absolutely. And thanks also to Scott Johnson for being with us today. Scott, what has been going on with you? I heard you had a nice weekend. Yeah, we had a really fun weekend in Vegas. It was nice to see some DTNS fans there as well. Absolutely. Tom and I were both there. I had a great time and uh, always have fun with this community. Looking forward to whatever we do in the future. So huge thanks for that. Uh, these days, I'm just kind of catching up after being gone for so long and looking forward to my next sit down with Patrick Beja for an episode of MVGB. That's the monthly video game briefing, which he and I record on a monthly basis. And it's awesome. If you are a part-time gamer or somebody who's just interested in the world of gaming and wants to know what's happening out there without being some sort of hardcore player yourself, that's what that show is. And you can find it over at frogpants.com slash MVGB. And I hope you do. It's really good. Hey, it's May 1st. Thank you, patrons, uh, for supporting us on Patreon. We did not get our one more than last month this month, but we will try again this month. Uh, and there's still lots of great things that you can get. Uh, in fact, we we don't mention it as much recently, but if you stick as a Patreon uh, supporter at DTNS for three months at the master or advisor level, uh, you get a perk. A bunch of people have already got those perks. It's a mug at the $50 level, or it's a poster at the $30 level. Uh, and those posters and mugs have been uh, drifting out there. You may have seen some pictures on Twitter. Uh, so if you can upgrade, if you can afford to support us, you get a few other perks as well that are detailed there, like special episodes and the like. Uh, and you can also be in the running for a mug if you stick at that level for three months. You can find out more about that at patreon.com slash DTNS slash merch. And if you have feedback for us, our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We're also live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern 2030 UTC. Find out more and tell a friend at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back tomorrow with Justin Robert Young. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. You have enjoyed this program. <laughs> 
Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.